to mini episode 90 of Real Life Ghost Stories. To kick things off this week, I need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Erin Snodgrass, Kelsey Lampkin, Jenny Peterson, Katie Mather, Madison Spencer, Claire McRae, Lois Sankey, Joanne Murphy, Sarah Peterman, Melissa Davenport, Marna Reiser, Summer Becks, Amanda, Jessica Jackson, Sarah, E.K., Jonathan Tisdall, Sydney Keeley, Catherine Ford, and Chris Fern. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. It is so appreciated, and I am thankful for you every single day. I have three listener stories for you today, and the last story comes from August the 19th, 2020, and the first story comes from Alyssa. For as long as I can remember, I've always been sensitive to feeling spirits or energies around me. You know strange sinking feelings, random fear that would make my eyes water or cause goosebumps all over my body when walking into certain rooms or homes. Living in New England my whole life, this happened a lot. The whole place is haunted. I was never able to put a name to those feelings until 2005. I was 15 years old and my younger sister and I had just gotten home from school one day. We were alone. Both of us were in my bedroom and we heard what sounded like footsteps walking down the hallway. I immediately thought someone had broken into the house, so I whispered to my sister to be quiet while I poked my head out the door to check. I saw no one, but was so convinced that I went back to my room and called my grandfather, who was usually around the area, to come and check the house. We waited in silence, not moving from our spot behind my bedroom door. We didn't have a large house, so as we waited, I was fairly certain there actually wasn't anyone there as they most likely would have discovered us. This was a relief to me that we weren't in any immediate danger, but I began to realise what had happened. Once he arrived, there was obviously no one there, but my sister and I had definitely heard footsteps. This was my earliest memory of an encounter, and it's when I first realised that maybe I could sense things others couldn't. As I got older, more strange things would happen that I couldn't explain, with increasing frequency and strength. A lot of these things would happen in my home to start, specifically in my room, the hallway and the bathroom which was next to my room. One morning I was home alone getting ready for school. I had just finished taking a shower and opened the shower curtain to see a giant letter R drawn in the mirror. This was not one of those marks that was left and then refogged. It was clearly defined, and the lines were wide like someone had turned their thumb sideways to make it, and large enough to take up the whole mirror. It was fresh. The water only started dripping on the marks as I stood staring at it before running out of the bathroom. Another time I closed the door to my bedroom and sat on my bed. As I was sitting there a minute, I noticed that the towel I had hung up to dry on the back of my door not only hadn't stopped swaying side to side, but was actually speeding up and gaining momentum. Again, I ran out of my room terrified. My sister was always a bit unaccepting of these things, and so if she experienced anything after the first time, she never shared it with me. My mother, however, started noticing strange things in the home around this time too. Mostly her small dog barking at something in the room, then they would stop and hop around happily, 
acting as if they were being petted by an invisible person. It took a lot for her to accept that this was happening, as it had never happened to her before. She told me that when her and my father were still together, she would get annoyed with him, because every house he went in was haunted. Once I moved out, she reported that these odd things happened less and less and eventually stopped. However, if I stayed at her house for a few days, like when I would dog sit for her and my stepfather while they were away, sometimes the house would be active again for a few days after I left. These encounters also reached beyond my home. One night when I was around 20, I was staying at a friend's house. She had a spare room, so when we were ready for bed, I stayed in there. I wasn't tired yet, so I was just laying in bed watching TV. When I saw a woman poke her head in through the open door to the bedroom and then back out again into the hallway. I thought it was my friend and that she had checked to see if I was asleep and mistakenly thought I was. So I went into her bedroom to tell her that I was in fact still awake only to find her fast asleep. For this story I'm not going to use any real names or real relations and I'm not going to share the backstory since this is a story involving suicide. The only thing really important is that a close family friend we'll call him Tom, was like a brother to me. Tom was not originally from the US, and we met him as an adult. Again, I won't mention how we met, so he and his family remain anonymous. He was about two years younger than me, and we always had a brother-sister bond. He was also close with my husband and was even groomsman in our wedding. He was living in the US for years, but then lost his job and had to move back home with his family that he wasn't very close with. Tom committed suicide last year, That first night after finding out that Tom had died, I was completely distraught and riddled with guilt at not having seen the signs and having the worst possible visions of what his final minutes might have been like. I had never experienced losing someone to suicide and you always wonder if you did enough to help. My husband and I were up in bed talking, grieving together and eventually unintentionally fell asleep with the light on and everything. It was still early, maybe around 8pm. We both woke to the distinct sound of a ping-pong ball dropping on the hardwood floor in our bedroom, bouncing a few times, and then rolling before coming to a stop. If you've ever gone to a college party, you know the sound. Even our two little dogs perked their heads up and looked around, because they had heard it too, and it was close. We sat up straight in bed and looked around. There were no ping-pong balls in our room. We thought maybe what we had heard could be coming from a different part of the house, and we had mistakenly heard it in our bedroom, so we went downstairs to look. We found nothing. We didn't even own ping-pong balls, and nothing was out of place. While investigating, I heard the noise again while standing in our living room, which is directly under our bedroom. The noise was coming from above, in our bedroom. My husband is a sceptic, but I knew exactly what was happening. I had felt Tom's presence with me earlier in the evening, but thought maybe it was just wishful thinking, and thought it would be too soon to experience contact. I sat up in bed looking through photos in my phone, trying to think of what the significance of ping pong balls could be. I came upon a video taken a few years ago. Tom had shown us a game where you fill empty tissue boxes with ping pong balls and tie the box around your hips. You dance to music and try to be the first person to shake all the ping pong balls out only using your hips. We played it before mine and my husband's wedding where Tom was in charge of planning out the games. This was on a Sunday. 
On a Friday of that week, I told my best friend Katie. She told me that starting on Monday, whenever she would get into her car, one of her CDs would fall out of the passenger side visor. She didn't think anything of it, but thought it was odd that it was always the same one and she would find it in the exact same spot in the middle of the passenger seat when she had multiple CDs stored in there. It's worth mentioning that the reason Katie even has CDs in her car anyway is because it's a bit older and her radio hasn't worked for years. She told me this was happening literally every time she got in the car, but she never saw the CD fall. She would only find it on the seat upon entering the vehicle. On Thursday of that week, she got into her car to come to visit me, and it was the first time the CD wasn't there on the seat. When she started driving towards my house, she saw it fall, and as soon as she picked it up, her radio, that remember hasn't worked in years, turned on. She took this as a sign and immediately knew someone wanted her to listen to this CD. This particular album happened to be about dealing with the loss of someone to suicide. She didn't tell me about this when she came over to visit because she thought it might upset me. But as soon as she heard about my experience, she knew it couldn't be a coincidence. Other things were happening around my house. The back door would open on its own. We would hear knocking on the back door to the house when no one was there. The first time Tom visited our house after my husband and I moved in, it had snowed. And Tom, who didn't grow up somewhere that experienced snow, always took the opportunity to make snow angels because he loved them. But now it was summer, so I couldn't see a snow angel. But I did see the distinct imprint in the same spot in the grass that my husband had let grow too long. Tom always vaped with sweet-flavoured vape juice, and one day I saw a puff of smoke in the middle of the bedroom that smelled like candy. It lingered and disappeared as if someone was really in there vaping. Finally, I contacted a medium. I was beginning to worry that even though I didn't feel scared and was certain it was Tom, that I could be wrong. I was worried it might be a darker entity feeding off my grief and impersonating him. A week before my session, I was home alone in my room. I got this overwhelming feeling that I was being watched through my open bedroom door. When I looked up at the door, I got this dropping feeling like all the blood drained from my head. You know that feeling at the top of a roller coaster right as you start to drop. The feeling passed, and I simply said aloud, Tom, if that is you, you're welcome here and I want to invite you to visit me when I see the medium next week, so you can tell me what you want. But you are starting to scare me, and you need to keep quiet until then. If you are not Tom, you need to leave this house immediately and never return. It was a quiet week after I said this. Nothing happened. I went to the medium a week later, who wanted no information from me. When I entered the room, I immediately felt different. My skin flushed and felt hot to the touch like I had a fever, but I wasn't uncomfortable. My nose felt slightly stuffy and I felt tingly and sometimes prickly all over my arms and legs. The air in that room was heavy and felt like static electricity. I've never felt anything like it before or since. I actually had a headache and felt completely drained of energy upon leaving after the session. I told her only two things before we began. My first name and that I believe there's a spirit in my home. Katie had come with me, and a few spirits came through to talk to her. The medium then asked that the spirit who was lingering in my home come forward and share what it needs to share. 
She described Tom with amazing details, citing specific things she could not have known unless she was told. It was enough for me to confirm it was Tom. He told me he knew my family and I felt guilty, but that there was nothing anyone could have done. He had made up his mind a long time ago, and we all needed to move on, and we should know that he's okay now. There was a specific message that he had for me to deliver to one of my relatives, who was of particular importance to him, that I'd like to keep private. I haven't felt his presence since passing the information along. My last story is about a retail job that I had while I was in college. It was 2008 and I started working at a fine art supply store, Blick Art Materials, formerly Dick Blick, while going to school. Shortly after I started working there, one of the other employees found a black and white Polaroid picture of a girl with straight, long, dark hair and bangs. She was wearing a white dress, and while she was completely facing forward in the photo, she had a slight smirk on her face and her eyes looked off to one side. On the bottom of the photo, it said Rainbow 1975. This photo was found in the stockroom, where no customers had access and no one knew where it came from. The store used to be a craft store in the 70s and 80s, maybe the 90s too. We suspected she might have been an employee and tacked her photo up on the wall in the break room thinking it would be a bad idea to throw it away. Nothing strange happened right away. Maybe a year after I'd been working there is when I started to notice that all too familiar feeling of not being alone, even when I was. Most of the odd happenings were in the back portion of the store that before my time there had been a space where small local art classes were held. It had since been opened up to create room and carry more stock and at this point housed mostly larger items like canvases, easels and such. The normal odd things started happening that usually do when there's a ghost lingering nearby. Things started falling off shelves that were impossible to have fallen. I would hear footsteps in that back room when I was completely alone and would feel something watching me at the end of an aisle and was too afraid to look, but would picture her clearly in my mind. One day I was closing the store with a co-worker. We had locked the door and were checking the store to make sure no one was there. We finished checking that back room and as we were walking back up to the front of the store we heard footsteps behind us. Now my friend is a sceptic And I love stories with sceptics hearing or seeing supernatural things because I feel like it validates my experiences and also it freaks them out even more than it does me, which is hilarious. My friend and I stopped dead in our tracks and he turned to me and said, Did you hear that? I said, Yes, I told you, keep walking though. Another time I was opening the store alone. When you open the store, you unlock the front door immediately turn around to lock it again and run to the back room to disable the alarm with a code. So there is absolutely no way that anyone was in the store or could have entered without my knowing about it. As soon as I had disabled the alarm, I heard two short whistles over my shoulder as if someone was trying to get my attention. I looked and no one was there. I would have dreams about this girl that I thought might be Rainbow and I was beginning to feel like maybe her death was an accident or maybe she was even killed but either way she was young, probably my age at the time. One particularly distressing dream felt very real. It didn't have any of those weird dream things in it where you can tell it's not real, everything looked completely normal. It was like I was experiencing a normal boring day at work. 
I walked into the back stock room and saw someone in a white dress kneeling on the floor not facing me. She was hunched over looking through a box. In my dream I didn't recognise this person and said, Hello? At this point the girl straightened up from the box without turning around and I could see that she had no head. Another time I was eating lunch in the break room which is also a portion of that same back room with a dividing wall and a door to prevent customers from wandering in. My grandfather had just died the week before and my mother had come to visit me while I was on my break because I was feeling very upset that day. She was sitting across from me at the table and she suddenly was startled and looked to her left down a hallway that wasn't visible to me from where I was sitting. She asked me if there was somebody else back there with us. I told her no but went to check and of course saw no one. If it had been a customer we would have known because the door was very loud and hard to open so there's no chance someone could have wandered in. She told me she saw a girl in a long flowy dress with long hair walking towards her. I'd never shown my mother the picture of Rainbow, nor had I described it to her, so at this point I went to find the photo and showed it to her. My mother said that was the girl she saw. I worked at the store for seven years. After leaving, my former co-workers that I've stayed in touch with have reported that these occurrences have stopped. And story number two comes from Yasra. As a Muslim, we believe in angels and jinn. Similar to Christianity, the angels are the pure light creatures, while jinn are like humans. Some are good and some are evil. And the devil was of the jinn and was banned from heaven by God. The first story happened to me and my sister. As children, we lived in an apartment, in a family building. My grandparents from my father's side were on the first floor apartment, my aunt was on the second and we were on the third and last floor. So my parents used to leave us home alone as technically it was a gated building and our family were always downstairs. I was approximately 10 years old and my sister was 7. We were watching cartoons and we heard loud and clear the sounds of dishes or glasses moving, crackling together as if someone was doing the washing up. It went on for a good minute and we were both looking at each other to confirm that we had both heard the same thing. We even had the courage to inspect the kitchen and finding nothing we were so scared we ran the fastest we had ever run downstairs to our grandparents. The creepiest part was that my grandpa convinced us that these were just thirsty angels looking to drink water from our home and we were convinced and we were fine with it. Thinking about it as an adult I say what the fuck? Angels, no thank you, how, why and what? Another story that happened to my father could be considered as a blessing, but I still find it a bit scary. Maybe the scary part is the unexpected or unexplained aspect of it. My father is a bit of a sceptic, who usually questions everything and never takes something for granted, even in his strongest beliefs. He was on a trip to Saudi Arabia, the city of Medina, one of the two pilgrimage destinations for Muslims. Here there is the Prophet's Mosque, that God declared was a part of heaven. My father and my grandfather during the pilgrimage were staying at the mosque, and they got to go sit in the special part for a short time. There is a high demand, so usually organisers ask people to leave quite quickly so others can get in. He was reading the Quran, the Holy Book of Islam, 
and got to some verses describing heaven and how when you are in heaven, all of your desires and wants are granted by only thinking about them, not even requesting them. So my father, as usual, questioned to himself, I'm supposed to be sitting in a part of heaven and I feel thirsty. He did not finish his thought when he saw a hand between him and the book he was reading, offering a glass of cold water. He was shocked, looked up to a man who said nothing, and just gave him a glass of water and left. My grandfather, who was sitting further away and saw the interaction, asked him later, Did you ask somebody to get you water? As he saw this man going through the crowds to give one glass of water specifically to my father. For context, the mosque usually has rows of cold water dispensers scattered in different areas, but nowhere close to where they sat. And the mosque is usually packed with people, According to official data, the mosque may get up to 150,000 people hourly, and this is an older number as this happened years ago. I think it's a bit scary thinking of something and finding an immediate response or proof of it. I'm not really sure what to make of it. I sometimes think I want to have a similar experience, but then I say, nope, thank you, it seems too scary to go through. And story number three comes from Alex. At the time this happened, I was around 17 years old. I was attending sixth form college and studying for my A-levels. I still lived in my hometown, a nondescript village just outside the boundaries of the M25 in the south of England. Village makes it sound quaint, but in reality, it was just the suburban sprawl that surrounds the outer edges of London into the home counties, one of those places where everything looks pretty much the same for miles on end. The event took place somewhere in the early 2000s. Almost 20 years have passed, but I can still remember the details of the story. My best friend had a semi-regular after-school job as a babysitter, and one of her regulars she used to babysit was a three-year-old boy who belonged to a friend of her older sister. It was usually a weekend arrangement, and sometimes I would come along to keep her company. We'd watch videos or study if we had stuff to do as we took psychology class together. One evening, my friend dropped out at the last minute and I can't remember why, but I got a slightly frantic phone call asking me if I'd step in and look after the boy. We were all pretty friendly by this point, so I didn't see any reason not to. I walked to her flat around 7pm as the sun was starting to get lower in the sky. She lived in a council flat, in a block around a 30-minute walk from where I lived. It wasn't one of those big tower blocks as you might imagine, It was only maybe five stories high or so. I'm not sure when it was built, but I'd guessed some point in the 1970s it was featureless and functional. Each flat had a small balcony that overlooked the road. I let myself into the building with the key code and walked up the concrete stairwell that always smelled like that strong industrial disinfectant, my footsteps echoing as I went. When I got there, she was rushing around the tiny flat trying to get ready to go out. The boy was in his pyjamas and had recently been put to bed, but he'd obviously got back up to see what was going on. Despite her best efforts, he didn't seem too keen on returning. We let him sit on the sofa for a bit, with the idea that it would be easier to get him back to sleep when she had gone. Making a big fuss at this point would just wind him up. He wasn't the easiest of kids to babysit, to be honest. He could be really hyperactive, and would often have a bit of a meltdown, but he could also be really sweet. I crossed my fingers that he'd calm down once we were alone and that I'd be able to get him to sleep. 
I had some reading I needed to get done and babysitting hadn't been factored into my plans. She left and we waved goodbye from the window together. There was a bit of shrieking to start with but eventually I put him to bed and read him a story, turned off the lights and he drifted off to sleep. I started some of my own reading. I think he got up a couple of times. Once, not long after I'd settled him down, he peered around the corner of the doorframe and went back to his room when I looked at him. I tried not to make it into a game. It must have been around 11pm when I put him back to bed for the final time and stayed in his room, kneeling down at the end of his small bed, stroking his hair when he fell back asleep. I watched his breathing deepen as he relaxed and drifted off. This time I'd cracked it. I thought I'd give him one more minute to be on the safe side before stealthily creeping out of the room to the living room next door. And that's when I felt it. One minute everything was just fine, normal, boring, and the next it went terribly, terribly wrong. I don't know if you've ever had the feeling of knowing when someone is looking at you, or more intense when someone is standing behind you. It's a spine-tingling feeling that has to be linked to some kind of primitive survival instinct hardwired into us. I got this feeling in such a wave that it made me feel physically sick. There was a presence behind me, but not just behind, over me, as I was still kneeling on the floor by the boy's bed. Imagine somebody bending right over on top of you that if you tilted your head back and your face up, you'd be staring at them eye to eye. That's how it felt. I felt something breathing onto me. It was that close and I was terrified. I couldn't bring myself to look and I was frozen to the spot. I genuinely couldn't move. Whatever was behind me felt so incredibly threatening. Predatory and oppressive and entirely hateful. Pure evil. It didn't go away either. It wasn't passing. It was right there surrounding me. It sounds strange as I write it down this many years from the event, but it still puts a knot in my stomach. I must have stayed there for a minute or two at least, and then I'm ashamed to say I made a run for it. I didn't look back, I didn't get the kid, I ran straight out of the flat and stood, shaking and breathing raggedly in the concrete stairwell, gulping in lungful after lungful of the disinfectant heavy air. I was only about a foot from the door of the flat which I had left open. I could see right down the narrow hallway from which all the rooms led off and nothing moved inside. I spent a good 10 or 15 minutes flip-flopping between talking myself into going back in because I'd just abandoned a kid in there and wanting to stay the hell away from whatever that was. Eventually, I talked myself around to my responsibilities and I went back in. Everything was quiet. I don't know what I was expecting, really. Something. But there was nothing. I walked slowly down the hall. I pushed myself flat against the wall and slid along it until I could see through the open door and into the dark room. There was nothing there. I craned my neck to look into the corner where the bed was. The boy was tucked up safely, still asleep. Nothing was disturbed. I felt sick with relief, but not enough to step back into that room. I turned on all the lights in the flat and the TV and waited until I could go home. When the boy's mum finally got back, it was gone midnight. When the boy's mum finally got back, it was gone midnight. She came in quietly, but I was listening for the sound of the key in the door. 
As she came into the living room, she started to chat about her evening, the pub, the dinner, and asked me if the kid had behaved well. You know, the usual normal things, before pausing to look at me. I was grey and silent. She obviously asked, What the hell is the matter with you? To which I simply replied, I don't know, there was something weird, there was this weird presence, and I tailed off. She gestured to the boy's room and I nodded. Then she turned and walked towards her son's room when I followed. We both peered in at the sleeping boy lying there peacefully and then she pointed. She pointed right to where I'd felt the thing standing over me and she said, It came from over there, didn't it? Those simple words had validated the whole thing and needless to say I never babysat again. Thank you so much for listening to today's mini episode. Thank you to Alyssa, Yosra and Alex for sending in your stories. If you would like to send in your own spooky story, you can do so by sending it to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find out everything you need to know about us on our website, Podcast.com. And on that note, we shall see you next time.